From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And welcome to a Monday edition of EWTN's Open Line. I'm Ace McKay and for Tom Price as Father John Tredrillo here to take your questions. So let me give that number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you are outside North America, just uh, dial us at 1-205-271-2985. Again, that's 1-205-271-2985. And then, of course, we are on social media as well. So YouTube and Facebook, we want to say hello and definitely welcome in uh, today, Father John Tregilio. How are you, Father? I'm doing well. Thank you. Great weekend, I hope. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our seminary is all returned to the nest. So today's our first day of school. So they're all jumping and uh, eager to learn. Excellent. Well, we're eager to learn from you as well this afternoon. Stacy chiming in on YouTube. She says, what if I keep praying over and over the same prayer? Do you think God will come through? Well, certainly perseverance is a, a, a great virtue. In fact, uh, there's the, the parable that Jesus tells of the woman who just keeps on um, persevering, asking uh, you know, the, the man who's in the tower, <laughs> and finally gets tired of listening to her, and uh, Jesus uh, commends her for her perseverance. And uh, we even had in the uh, gospel the other day, uh, the woman who, the Canaanite woman, uh, who asked for um, help, and Jesus uh, challenges her, you know, what, you know, should we send food that belongs to the Israelites to dogs? And he wasn't meaning to be mean or nasty to her, it was to challenge her, and she says that wonderful, even the dogs get the scraps from the table, uh, meaning that, you know, you persevere. And it's on God's time. And our prayer has to always be like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if possible, let this come pass, but not my will, yours be done. So we certainly want you to persevere and yet trust in God's uh, justice and mercy and generosity. So he will answer uh, at, on his time and in his way, uh, yet he still says, asking you shall receive. So keep on praying. Um, St. Monica prayed for 30 years uh, for her son and for her husband. And that's great perseverance there. Eric had a follow-up uh, similar question, uh, Father. He says, it seems to me that novenas are repetitious prayer and superstitious. How should he feel towards that? Well, the only time that they could be superstitious is when you occasionally find um, people make copies like to the Novena of St. Jude. Certainly, uh, the Novena of St. Jude is accepted and it's authentic, um, and you are encouraged to promote it. But if you're starting to get to the point where you say, well, I have to make so many copies, and I have to put so many of these copies in the pews, or as I sometimes would see, in the old days when people read newspapers, it was in the classified section. Uh, Dear St. Jude, thank you for uh, answering my prayers. Uh, I would avoid that, yet I would use the novena because basically the novena, uh, it's nine days from the Latin word novem, meaning nine, nine days of prayer to the saint 
asking for their intercession to Almighty God. Uh, the intercessor does not replace Jesus, the one mediator, but it's a wonderful tradition of praying nine consecutive days. Uh, that you know, that's a, like a week and a half praying for a particular intention, either for yourself or someone else. Uh, but it's not magic. It's not going to just happen because you say the words. It's not just going to happen because you make photocopies of the prayer. But if you do it with the right disposition, and uh, again, like I said at the last question, always, always uh, with the provision that not my will, yours be done. Very good. Eric, thanks so much for your email. Anytime you want to send yours, open line at EWTN.com is how you can drop us a line. And again, call us this afternoon at 833-288-3986, 833-288-EWTN. Charles is chiming in this afternoon. He says, is God the creator of all life, no matter what religion someone is? Yes, he is the creator of all life, um, life on this planet, and if there's life anywhere else in the universe, he is the author of life. He is the creator. Uh, he creates the immortal soul uh, that is infused at the moment of conception, but he also is the one who created the universe, both the material world, the immaterial world, uh, that which is seen and unseen. So regardless of what one believes, or even those who don't believe, atheists and agnostics, whether they like it or not, uh, they were created uh, by the Creator. So uh, we do ascribe all that um, to our Heavenly Father. Thanks for the question, Charles. We're going to head over to Mariette, EWTN Online. Cecile is listening with her question this afternoon as we head over. How are you, Cecile? Tell us, what is your question today for Open Line? Yes, uh, I'm Cecil, and I, I'm a male, not a female. But anyway, yes, so here's my question. So uh, we know that apostolic revelation, the divine revelation, uh, that we know that it didn't change, that the apostles had the fullness of the revelation of God. It's just, it, it just uh, like the Trinity, they understood, they had, they didn't have the, uh, they didn't articulate it like, like they would later, 300 years later, but they, they understood it, I guess, is my point. So then my, my question then is, as part of the three-legged school, did, uh, school, did tradition evolve or change? We know that revelation didn't, did, did, did tradition change? That's my question. Okay, well, uh, thank you for that question. And actually, it's not that uh, they're uh, in competition with each other. In reality, both sacred scripture and sacred tradition form uh, divine revelation. So God reveals himself in both ways to us. Uh, obviously, because, first of all, with sacred scripture, before the text was written, before it was inspired by the Holy Spirit for the sick author to write down those things, it was all. It was first orally handed on, and that's what the word tradition means, traditio, from the Latin means to hand on. So even St. Paul talks about what was handed on to him, he hands on to us. So tradition and sacred scripture work together, as Pope Benedict would often say, uh, Catholicism is not either or, it's both and. So we say divine revelation is both sacred scripture and sacred tradition, they complement each other, they work with each other, and if there's ever any apparent contradiction, as St. Augustine says, the problem is with our interpretation, it's not with uh, those two sources, because both of them come from God. With the Hebrew people, the Israelites, before Moses even put to writing uh, the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, 
uh, it was verbally handed on. And so that's a tradition. And it's the tradition of the church that decided which books make it in the Bible because the Bible itself is silent on the table of contents, so to speak. You know, we, we see that today because a publisher puts that in there, but neither Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John had a table of contents, and uh, it was the church and her um, teaching authority that d- decided that. Thanks so much, Cecil, for your question. We appreciate it as uh, we head to Flushing, New York, for a first-time caller, Camelia, uh, listening at EWT and online. What's your question for Father John? Uh, yes, I, I have a niece that worshiped the devil. I mean, she, but she received all her First Communion, baptism, and everything, but she got friends, and they got into, into, into this. But now it happened to be really too much because she's starting to hear voices, and she sees, uh, like, a shadow following her. And she, she walks on them to the house or whatever. But what can I, how can I tell her that that's wrong? I've been telling her, but she still does it. Yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, you, you may not have a lot of success because as Jesus himself said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own house. So many times, you know, we're too close to the people and they, they're not open to our, our advice. And yet, it's still good that you... Um, make the effort, the attempt, but I wouldn't say do it all the time because uh, that could have an opposite effect, but I would say don't neglect it either. Certainly, I would use a lot of holy water, um, not necessarily when she's around, because she might misinterpret that, but sprinkle holy water uh, before and after she she visits, uh, pray for her, uh, say the rosary before every day, uh, make some mortifications, very modest ones with your spiritual director or confessor's um, approval, um, do that. And if it gets any worse and she asks for help, then definitely you need to contact the, the diocese you live in and have someone uh, speak to the the exorcist or whoever is in charge uh, of, of that uh, investigation. Carmela, thanks so much for your call. That frees up a line. You've got time to get in this afternoon. It is Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio, 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. And again, you can always email us, openline at EWTN.com. We'll be right back. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, as you are looking for great reading material for your kids for school, well, we've got EWTNRC.com that can help you out. Our Ladies Picture Book by Anthony Stefano. This picture book actually allows for Catholic children uh, to have more well-known images of the Blessed Virgin Mary and will have children literally understanding better of what Mary's life was like, which is to love and serve Jesus Christ and to lead others 
others to do the same. If you're looking for a book like this for your kids or someone you know, make sure you check out our Ladies Picture Book. It's available at EWTNRC.com. Remember, free standard shipping, online order, $75 or more. And, of course, you can use the code word free at checkout. It is EWTN Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio as we are taking your questions. 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. We got an email from Taylor. He says, how can I explain the importance of confession? Is it mentioned in Scripture? Well, certainly um, it's mentioned in, in, uh, in the sense that on Easter, Jesus appeared to the 12 apostles after he rose from the dead and he very poignantly breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. And so that power of forgiving sins he gave to the apostles, who in turn gave it to the, handed it on to their uh, successors, the, the bishops, and then to uh, the disciples, who would be the, the first priests. Um, the confession of sins uh, certainly... Uh, goes back to the time of the apostles. What we're familiar what we're familiar with today, the private confession, where a person just comes to the priest and very confidentially uh, confesses their sins, uh, goes back to the six six hundreds when the Irish monks uh, started the practice. But before that, for six hundred years, it was more of a public confession. Where, because most of the people would know what your sins were anyway. Uh, during the time of the Roman persecutions for 300 years, if you renounced your faith uh, and you were, the, you were in a Catholic neighborhood and the rest of your neighbors got sent to the lion's den, people would have figured out why it was that you didn't get uh, sent to your demise. So in the ancient church, people made a public confession and then they also did a public penance. Uh, they would uh, dress in a penitential outfit, uh, they may have gone on a pilgrimage or done some other acts of mortification. But once the uh, Christianity got legalized in 313 with the Edict of Milan and uh, the, the faith started to grow and grow and become more uh, expansive, uh, the need for confidentiality certainly uh, grew so, because not everybody would have known you know, what you did, how you misbehaved. And yet the need for uh, forgiveness of sins was still present. And so the Irish monks came up with this brilliant idea of, well, just come to the priest privately. And so since then, uh, the practice of going to the priest, confessing your sins, but that power to forgive goes all the way back to the gospel on Easter when Jesus gave that uh, power and authority uh, to the apostles. As Catholic Christians, that's the only way we can have our mortal sins absolved. Uh, for non-Catholic Christians, they need to be uh, cultivate. A perfect act of contrition to be completely sorry uh, for the fact that they have offended God, um, which is certainly possible. But uh, when you go to confession and you hear the priest say, I absolve you of your sins, you have that confirmation that Jesus has forgiven you because the priest acts in the person of Christ as an altar Christus. This is EWTN Open Line, 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986 as we go to Virginia. And Vince, a first-time caller listening on WMET. Vince, what is your question? Hello, Father. I have a question about attendance at a civil marriage. If one of my children wanted to get married in a, a civil ceremony, say like justice of the peace only, 
even though the child and the, the future spouse were both Catholic? Is that because I, in good conscience, attend that ceremony? Uh, that's a, a, a very good question, and uh, it's not an uncommon one. I would say, as a parent, uh, whichever way you choose uh, would be acceptable if you do it for the right reason. So certainly, if you do not go because you don't want to cause scandal and uh, you want to hopefully uh, encourage your, your child to do the right thing, uh, I know some parents tell me, though, and I can believe them, that if they avoid the wedding and boycott it completely, then that closes the door and there's no communication with their son or daughter anymore. So if you go, uh, certainly let the, your son or daughter know that you are displeased, you're disappointed, you're only going because you love them, um, but I would not get them a gift, I would not uh, go to the reception, I would go just to uh, show that, that, that that's why you're there. But if you act as if everything's okay, you get dressed up in your tuxedo and you get them a nice gift or you know, even with these, uh, you know, bridal showers that too often Catholics show or give the impression that it's okay to get married outside the church. Well, that's invalid. If a Catholic's involved, they must get married by a priest or deacon or get a dispensation uh, from the bishop to be married by a non-Catholic minister. Uh, the justice of the peace um, would be valid for two non-Catholic Christians, but as long as there's a Catholic or uh, Eastern Christian involved, they must get, have the priest present uh, to make it a, a valid marriage. So I can see you know, you going either way. Only you know uh, to what extent the repercussions would be. But if you're going to go, certainly express uh, very charitably and lovingly why you are upset. And if you don't go, absolutely essential is explain why you're not going. Um, but only you would know, you know, to, to what extent you can do that. Certainly pray over it, talk about it with uh, your spouse, and uh, talk about it, too, with your confessor or spiritual director. Thanks so much for your call, Vince. That frees up a line at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. It is EWTN Open Line. Kay chiming in as she's watching on YouTube. She says, many identify the woman in Revelation 12 as our Blessed Mother, but this mentions birth pains. How can we identify this woman as Mary if that is the case? Okay, uh, that's a good question. Certainly what's told to us in the book of Revelation uh, is not uh, an historical account of what happened. It's um, apocalyptic literature, which means it's allegorical. It it's, uh, certainly has connections to what happened in the past, but that's not how Our Lady gave birth anyway. She was not in the sky. She did not have a crown on her head. She did not have the moon under her feet when she gave birth on Christmas Day. But that's not to say that St. John did not see that. That's what he saw in his vision. Uh, it, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. So it's certainly real, but it's not historical in the sense that it happened exactly that way. Um, apocalyptic literature, like the book of Daniel, like the book of Revelation or the Apocalypse, is a certain way of speaking. Uh, it's got a lot of symbolism in it. And certainly we connect what is in Revelation uh, chapter 12 with Our Lady because she is the woman clothed with the sun and she has a crown on her head because she's the queen of heaven and earth. Uh, she has the moon beneath her feet. Uh, all that certainly we say is real, it's true, 
but in terms of historical, um, factual, that it happened exactly this way, it's just like with the, um, you know, the, the different uh, dragons with all the different heads. People get you know excited, like, how could there be a dragon with that many heads? It's not that this is something that's precise in that regard, that you're interpreting it too literally, but we have to interpret all Scripture faithfully. Teresa, also watching on YouTube, she says, How am I in a position that I can ask during the Mercy Chaplet on to, to demand I offer to you the divine body of Jesus Christ? Okay, uh, you offer, obviously it's got to be willing, because then it's not a free will, and it does, it's not a moral act. For any moral act to take place, you have to engage your free will. And you offer the body and blood of the divinity of Christ, not in a sense that you are affecting it, but in your reception of Jesus' body and blood, soul, and divinity when you go to communion, you can offer it up uh, for yourself, you can offer it up for others, uh, you can offer up in praise of God. So again, it's it's a way of speaking. It's, it, we don't want to sp- use too literal interpretation because you're not literally taking Holy Communion and giving it back to God. That would be the literal interpretation. But a faithful interpretation would be I give enormous thanks and gratitude and appreciation. I receive reverently, worthily. I'm not in this. I'm I'm in the state of grace. I've uh, observed my hour fast beforehand. Uh, I make a little prayer of thanksgiving afterwards. So that's how you offer back to to God uh, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. And Marie, also on YouTube, wants to know, she says, Father, when Jesus died, there was a thunder and lightning and a big earthquake. Was that nature rebelling at Jesus being crucified, or was God showing his might? Well, it could be both, because obviously God is the creator. He's the sustainer of all reality and of the earth, because he's the creator of earth. Um, You know, there's a lot of um, interpretations on what that symbolizes. Certainly, I believe it actually happened. There's a case where you could say, yes, there was definitely an earthquake. This was not allegorical. Uh, It did take place. There was uh, thunder, uh, a clap of thunder, uh, at the moment that our Lord died, it could be both levels. It could be uh, nature itself moaning and groaning in the fact that you know we we killed uh, the the Son of God, and it could also be that God Himself is manifesting uh, His uh, sadness that you know that's this is what sin does. Sin uh, killed the the Son of God, but uh, He rose victoriously on the third day. EWTN Open Line Monday. You can reach us at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Lee sending in an email saying, why does the Catholic Church baptize in Jesus' name the way the Bible says to? Why it does or why it does not? Why why doesn't the Catholic okay. Church baptize? <laughs> well, Jesus said, go baptize the nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're doing literally... And faithfully, what Jesus said, he said that in the gospel, uh, go baptize, and he invoked the Holy Trinity. Now, it's true, we see reference to uh, baptism in the name of Jesus. Um, Certainly, when you baptize in the name of the Holy Trinity, you are baptizing in the name of Jesus. We must include all three persons, though, for it to be a valid baptism, especially uh, today, that was solemnly defined um, at the Council of Trent, but it was always done from from day one. 
So those baptisms where you only mention one person of the Trinity, um, that could be problematic. Uh, I know there's some scripture scholars who, you know, are still, the jury's out in, in their mind on what happened in the beginning. But for us, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right. Thanks so much for your question. You've got time to still get in this afternoon. 888-288-EWTN. That's 833. I'll get it right. 833-288-3986. And of course, you can submit your questions on social media, YouTube and Facebook. It is EWTN Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Well, we, of course, are open line, which means an open line for you at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Before we go back to the phones, we want to say congratulations going out to another longtime member of the EWTN radio family, Queen of Victory Radio, and Beaumont, Montana, is celebrating their 18th year with us. So congratulations uh, to Tom Downey and his team at KQOV. And, of course, from all of us at EWTN, congratulations. As, of course, we're taking your calls, Father John Tregilio is your host today. As you can reach us again, 833-288-3986, 833-288-EWTN. As we go to Maryland, as Lillian, a first-time caller, listening to us on the EWTN app. Lillian, what's your question? Yes, uh, good afternoon, sir, and I'm so glad to actually wish you guys. Originally, I'm from Africa, where Latin Mass was our life, our mode of living, and we believe so much in God because, um, as a matter of fact, my father was saved by Christian, a Catholic priest, who stopped them from lynching him when he was born a, a twin. Um, the twin brother died in the process of, you know, the mother trying to hide them from being lynched. So you can imagine my life is really Catholic, everything Catholic. And we, in school, we are, we are trained to sing in Latin, and that is actually what brought a lot of people to Catholic, because we would go to school and, you know, show up how we could sing in Latin, praising God, and other denominations join Catholic with that. But I'm so sad that they are scrapping that now. And uh, another thing is they are bringing in gateways to Catholic Church. So if they're going to change that or they're going to continue in this world because my family and myself, we are beginning to look for another traditional church that will still give us the feeling in, in our belief and leave Catholic Church because of all this. You know, that's my question. Thank you so very much. Okay, uh, thank you for your call. Um, I, I can identify, you know, w with you and... Uh, you know, uh, I have a great fondness for Latin and for the Latin Mass, and uh, I know it's it's not as um, available as it was uh, previously under Pope uh, Benedict, but it's still uh, available. You need to, you know, maybe go look a little bit harder. Um, you've got the Fraternity of St. Peter. Um, in my diocese of Harrisburg, they have a whole parish that the bishop gave to them for their care, a Mater Dei. Um, you will have instituted Christ the High Priest, uh, there are a number of, of religious uh, communities that specifically were created uh, to, to uh, provide uh, the traditional Latin Mass or the extraordinary form. And also a lot of par parishes and dioceses, with the bishop's permission, are making it available. Now, again, previously, any priest anywhere was able to do that. 
there's much more restrictions on now. But when I was ordained in 1988, it was even much more restrictive. But I would say you don't want to abandon uh, the true church. You don't want to abandon the real presence uh, because if it's difficult to find, because even if you do go to the vernacular uh, mass, to the ordinary form, it's still the mass. It's still the holy sacrifice of the mass. You're still receiving the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. But if you have a preference and you can find it, I would say, please, it's worth the effort. And also, um, look into the possibility of, of even visiting and going to uh, the Byzantine Catholic Church, the Eastern Catholic Church, which have valid sacraments and they're in union with Rome. Um, it won't be in Latin, but it may be a little bit more um, traditional than what a typical parish would have, because uh, you are entitled as a Catholic to go to either way. You could go to the Latin rite, you go to the Eastern rite. But uh, in terms of the Latin, um, if you, I'm sure there's some websites that even make it available. You want to avoid any of the places that are independent or uh, involved with uh, schismatic or with questionable um, sources, though. Thanks, Lily, and we appreciate you listening to us in Maryland as we head to Kentucky. Another first-time caller, Gene, listening on the Savior Radio Network. Gene, what is your question? Hello. Thank you for letting me ask it, Father. Um, why does Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man? I, I, I can believe the Son of God, but the Son of Man, is I, I just don't get that. He's the Son of God to me. Yes, that's that, that's a very good question. Um, it's a biblical term, the Son of Man. It's mentioned a number of times in the Old Testament. Uh, we see it very prominently uh, in the book of Daniel. And Jesus identifies as the Son of Man because even though he is the Son of God, remember uh, the Council of Nicaea, Council of Chalcedon, made it very clear Jesus is both God and man, human and divine. Uh, he's one divine person, but he's got a human nature and a divine nature so he's the son of god he's the son of man um in the sense that he's the new adam adam was a man jesus had a human nature that was created uh at the moment of the incarnation when he was conceived in the womb of his mother so uh, although he did not have a human father he is the son of man in that he represents all mankind that's why he alone was able to atone for our sins and to save and justify us because he's both God and man. So the the phrase or the title, Son of Man, is not something we need to be worried about. Um, I know when I was in the seminary, we had some disputes with some of our professors because some of them were promoting a low Christology or Christology from below uh, that accentuated his humanity and sort of uh, you know, diminished his divinity. Uh, as a, a Christian, we have to say he is true God and true man, as we say in the creed. It's not 50-50. He's not a hybrid. He's not Mr. Spock, who's half Vulcan and half human. <laughs> Jesus is true God and true man. And so he is indeed the Son of God and the Son of Man. Thanks so much, Gene. We appreciate you being a first-time caller. Now you're a part of the family. Feel free to call back anytime at 833 833- 288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Again, if you're outside North America, just dial 1 and then 205-271-2985 as we go to Nova Scotia, another first-time caller. Uh, Wilma listening on Sirius XM. What is your question? Hi. Hi. Um, yes, my question is um, we have uh, 
a parish priest who was very active, very active in the church in Curcio and Altrea and um, for the young people also. Um, and he left the priesthood. Um, and not only did he leave the priesthood, but he became a justice of the peace. And he's advertising that all are welcome to come to him for civil union. Uh, in particular, people of same-sex origin, same-sex attraction. And uh, I don't I, I don't know what to think about that. I know what the church says about that. But, uh, and a lot of Catholic people are in approval, it seems. Um, you know, congratulating him. and So, I, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's sad to hear, but it's uh, it's not as rare as you would like it to be. Um, I've had some priests I've known, I went to the seminary with, or I've known along the way, who have left the priesthood and have gone down a, a dark path. Um, certainly, you know, leaving the priesthood is not something that that uh, anybody would uh, be happy about, but also to lead people astray um, uh, as a justice of the peace or whatever. Uh, if he's certified by the state, yeah, they might be civil unions or civil marriages, but uh, for it to be sacramental, uh, he has to do it in the context of the the sacred liturgy, and he has to have authorization, delegation, for it to be a valid sacrament as well. Um, this whole idea of being open and welcoming, uh, it sounds good in the beginning, but when you look at it a little bit closer, It'd be like if a doctor said, oh, yeah, you, you do what you want. I don't want to infringe on your on your liberty or freedom. A good doctor is going to say, look, if you want to stay alive and, and get better, then here's what you got to do. You have to, you know, take the medicine that I prescribe. You need to do the exercise that, that I suggest. You need to stop smoking. Whatever directions that the doctor gives. And remember, it's a prescription that you get from the doctor that's taken to the pharmacy these aren't suggestions. It says right on the pill bottle, take. Take one pill twice a day. It doesn't say if you're in the mood, would you like. And when you go home, you can't say, ah, I'll do what I want. You can, but there's repercussions. There's bad consequences. And likewise, the priest has to teach what the church teaches, uh, give us uh, what God has revealed, his divine truths, not his own opinion, but the truth that's given to us by God, and to celebrate the sacraments as Jesus gave it to Holy Mother Church. These do not belong to me, the priest. They don't belong to the Pope. They belong to Christ who instituted them. Um, so I would say pray for this priest because he's misguided at, at the very least. if any, At the worst, uh, he's uh, on the path to perdition. So you need to pray for him. Pray that he repent. Pray that he uh, come to his senses. But uh, I would not encourage anyone to you know, go to him or follow him. That doesn't mean that people people's obviously will. Uh, they think, oh, he's a maverick. He's, um, you know, uh, a lone ranger or whatever. Um, well, uh, the problem is either you're with Christ or you're against Christ. And uh, it's very clear that the unity of the church hinges on the fact that we stay with Christ and with his church. Um, because the church 
uh, is the mystical body of Christ. And it's like if your finger doesn't like the rest of your body, it wants to leave. Guess what? It dies. You know, you get your finger amputated, it, it dies. It needs to be connected to the whole body. And uh, as believers, we need to be connected to the church, the mystical body. Thanks, Wilma, for being a first-time caller. We appreciate you. As uh, we go from Nova Scotia to Washington State, Elizabeth, another first-time caller watching us on YouTube. What's your question today, Elizabeth? Um, hi, Father. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is that um, I recently—I have a friend in the Church, and she recently fell away from the Church, actually, and became Protestant. And um, we're still friends, but I'm having a really hard time— with our friendship, because she said things against the Blessed Mother. She said that we're worshiping the Son. And so I know the answer is to be kind and loving, but the thing is, is that I'm filled with anger um, whenever I talk to her. And I know that's not very Christ-like, and I repent of that, but I don't know. I just can't get over my anger whenever I talk to this person about this, and I was wondering if you had any um, advice or feedback on how to deal with that. Okay. Uh, again, this is not uncommon, sadly. Um, you got two options. One is to fight the good fight, um, to do some research, uh, get some good apologetic material. Certainly we have tons of it here at EWTN uh, electronically, and you go to the um, uh, religious catalog, there's lots of books available. There's uh, you know, the book that Father Bergenti and I wrote, Catholicism for Dummies. Um, you can you know, try your best to defend Holy Mother Church, because that's what apologetics is about. But she has to be disposed to having an actual dialogue, a, a discussion, or even debate. Too often what happens is when people leave the church, they got a chip on their shoulder, and they just want to scream out Bible phrases, or they just want to make statements. Well, you Catholics, you worship Mary, or uh, the Blessed Sacrament is worshiping the Son. But they don't want to say, well, where did you get that from? Or let me explain to you. So if she's going to be persistent and obstinate, and even obnoxious about her attacks on the church, and there's no reasonable hope that uh, there's going to be any open discussion, then I would say, I'm sorry, you know, we, we have to end our friendship, stop talking with each other. But if there's any hope uh, of reconciliation, it's going to take a while, and, you know, you don't want to harass her, you don't want to necessarily uh, preach to her, but you want to defend the church Again, in a way that's not confrontational, nevertheless, it's not selling out. You don't want to water down the truth. In the same way, again, I use the medical uh, analogy. If somebody is uh, a drug addict, you don't say, well, you, you do what you want. You say, no, you, you need to you know, fix this. This is something that is not good for you. And uh, here's, the, uh, here's a reference I, I, I encourage you to look at. Um, people can only be receptive if they're motivated to do that. If she's going to make political statements, you know, say, I'm sorry, uh, you know, let's talk about something else. And if that doesn't work, then you need to uh, go elsewhere. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. We hope that helps. Again, that frees up a line now at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And, of course, if you're outside North America, dial 1, then 205-271-2985. And, uh, of course, as we get ready for the break, we want to let you know that you can always email your questions if that's easier, especially if they're a little lengthier. We'll uh, pick those apart for you and get to them. But uh, openline at EWTN.com is how you can reach us. So, uh, again, 
288-EWTN as uh, we'll get set for the break. And also, uh, Tim, hang on. We will take your question when we come back. But uh, uh, when you plan your morning tomorrow morning, remember the Catholic perspective that you need on the day's news and newsmakers. Uh, Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio is looking at a chance for us to be able to get perspective on that through a Catholic lens. Uh, so uh, whatever you are doing tomorrow morning, make sure you check that out. 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio, as now we will go to Tim and uh, he is listening in Virginia on WMET 1160 AM. Tim, what's your question? Hey, good afternoon, and thank you very much for the show. It really is a blessing. Uh, the other week at Mass, I received uh, the blood of Christ, but the extraordinary minister, uh, before it was presented to me, said, receive the cup of salvation. Uh, I had only ever heard it as blood of Christ, and you say amen. Um, so I just want to make sure, I just want to see if uh, an extraordinary minister could say, receive the cup of salvation. Yeah, I mean, certainly that's a, a theological statement. I mean, it's, uh, but it's not proper liturgically. There's a phrase that the person is supposed to say, the blood of Christ, or if they're given the host, the, the body of Christ. Uh, it's very clear when you read the general instruction of the Roman Missal, or I've just started teaching a class to the seminarians this semester on the documents of Vatican II and uh, on the sacred liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, it makes it clear nobody has the authority except uh, the Holy Mother Church, and that's in the person of the Roman pontiff, and the bishops united uh, with him have the authority to add or change what is said or done uh, during uh, divine worship. And that, you know, so what is said comes to us from on top. Uh, we're not allowed uh, that latitude. Now, there's certain parts of the Mass very few, where it says, or words to this effect, but certainly not at that moment, uh, the person giving communion, whether it's the priest, deacon, or extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, must say precisely what is said in the text. As my friend Father Zulstorf would often say, and I've seen it on coffee mugs and uh, bumper stickers, uh, you say the black, you do the red. All right. Thanks so much for your question, Tim. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, again, that now frees up a line at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. Heading to New Jersey, watching on YouTube. Diana, what is your question today? question is, uh, for Father Fagilio, is that what's the Church teaching on us judging um, each other? On judging? I'm judging. I was talking with a, a friend of mine um, just on Thursday, and this kind of came up. And, you know, I, I was of the opinion that, you know, judging judging is left up to God. We should not be judging. We should be gently teaching and showing versus judging each other. And he's saying, no, we're, you know, God gave us the authority to judge each other. Uh, so what's the church teaching on that? And, and what's the, what, I mean, should I have said something different? What, how should I have answered him in that way? Yes. Well, certainly Jesus says, you know, judge not lest ye yourself be judged. The distinction we have to always make is that we don't judge each other. We judge the actions, okay? Only God knows what was in a person's heart and mind. So I cannot judge the person, but I certainly can judge their actions. So, for instance, somebody robs a store, or they murder someone, or they rape, or they do something very horrible and despicable— then society has not only a right but the obligation to do something about it, to put them in jail, okay, uh, to punish them for their, for their crimes. That's a judgment on their actions. Now, 
whether or not the person is guilty of a mortal sin, only God would know that, and the person themselves. So I can't presume that I know. I can say with probability, but I have to stay away from that because that could be dangerous. But I can certainly say that your actions are violating one of the Ten Commandments. We can say abortion is always intrinsically evil, as is euthanasia. Um, these are things which God himself tells us. But the person, there's where you know we want to withhold judgment and say, I don't know what your spiritual state is. That's only God knows that. But I can tell you, this what you're doing is wrong, it's immoral, it's evil, because it's intrinsically good or it's intrinsically evil. If it's something that's neutral, uh, it depends on, on the context of, of what's happening there. Um, because there is an object of uh, reality and there's an object of morality. But I think too often people go to two extremes. Either they don't judge anything at all or they judge the person with their actions, and that could be uh, dangerous. Thanks, Diana. We appreciate your call. As we head over to Houston, Texas, Chet is listening on Guadalupe Radio Network. What's your question? Hi. Um, my question is, I know in accepting the Catholic Church and accepting other baptisms, of course they look at form and matter, um, or, or baptisms outside the Catholic Church. They look for form and matter, but I've also heard it also has to do with intention. And what I was wondering was, um, like Baptists view baptism as uh, like an ordinance or command, but not as a spiritual regeneration. And so... My question is, uh, what does the Church mean by intention, I guess? Okay, that, that's a very good question. Uh, certainly the Council of Trent made that clear. It's in our Catechism of the Catholic Church that came out in 1992. Um, three things are required for uh, a valid sacrament, matter, form, and intention. Um, but the intention is, you don't have to intend what the Church intends, you have to intend to do what the Church does. So implicitly when a Baptist goes down to, say, the river or in the church, immerses someone and, and baptizes them, that's considered valid baptism as long as they're using water. Uh, the person's, their body or head gets wet, and the invocation of the Trinity, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, the fact that they don't intend this to be in the same way as uh, the Catholics do, they're, in their mind they're doing what they believe the church uh, wants them to do. Uh, their understanding of it is not uh, necessary. Um, now, in those places where, uh, you know, it's so different, like with the Mormon church, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, before he was Pope Benedict, uh, made it clear that Mormon baptism was considered invalid because it's it's a defect of matter, form, and intention. Uh, they don't believe in a trinity. They believe uh, something a little bit different. Um, and because of that, uh, if a Mormon comes into the Catholic faith, they need to be baptized. Whereas if a Baptist who was baptized or um, mainline uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, or Lutheran, as long as it was done with the proper formula, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and water, uh, then those are valid baptisms. Wherever there's a doubt or question, then the priest or deacon would do what we call a conditional baptism. Thanks, Chet. We hope that helps. We're going to stay in the great state of Texas as Arlene is listening on Guadalupe Radio Network in Dallas-Fort Worth. Arlene, what's your question? Uh, yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, so my question is in regards to my daughter. She is marrying a non-Catholic, um, and what we've kind of gathered is he's Hispanic, and, and the church that he attends is 
kind of comes from the seven-day Adventist um, religion, but it's more of like the Hispanic culture. So um, just recently, his sister ended up um, having a baby, and they follow the Old Testament, and so she waited her 80 days to do um, what they call like a presentation or dedication to God. And uh, my daughter's going to get married in October, and she's been going through her um, marriage prep. She's going to get married uh, in the Catholic Church. And I kind of questioned her uh, and just kind of asked her, you know, when you all have children, uh, you're going to, you know, obviously baptize the baby Catholic. However, like, what have you talked to the priest in regards to are you going, you know, because I'm sure he's going to want to have the baby dedicated or presented in his church. Like, to us, that's our baptism. To them, I don't know exactly what that means to them, but should she do that, or she she should just stick to baptizing the baby, and that's it? Yes. Um, certainly, when a Catholic marries a non-Catholic, in the old days... Um, before I was, I was even born, it used to be required that the non-Catholic would sign a document saying that they consent to the children being raised in the Catholic faith. Um, we found that not to be necessarily fair to the non-Catholic, so we asked the Catholic, when they marry a non-Catholic, that the Catholic swears to Almighty God they will do everything in their power to raise the children in the Catholic faith. Uh, it's not contingent on the non-Catholic. The onus is on the Catholic party themselves. And that's part of uh, the, the, the premarital instruction. And it's part of the, the sacrament of marriage, of matrimony. The priest asks, will you raise these children in the faith? So I would say that's the most important thing is get the kid baptized Catholic, raise them in the Catholic faith. They can still respect and visit uh, dad's church, but they need to be connected completely to the Catholic faith. Thanks so much, Arlene, for your call. Father, as we wrap up Open Line Monday, will you leave us with a blessing? Absolutely. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of Jack Williams, who will be back tomorrow, I am H. McKay. Thanks for letting me keep the seat a little warm as you continue to enjoy EWTN programming. You can hear an encore of this tonight, 10 o'clock Eastern on EWTN Radio and also Find our mobile app, download that for free, take us with you wherever you go, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Remember to let God define who you are, and thanks for being a part of EWTN Open Line Monday.